now the podcast starts. Hello dear listener, welcome to the podcast in which we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things and sometimes we swear. For this episode I have the great pleasure of being joined by the writer and critic Ian Winterton. Hello Ian. Hello Dan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very well thank you and as uh, Ian suggested I am Dan, also sometimes known as TD Velasquez. And here we're going to be talking about a missed classic. We've not done one of these in a while. One of the episodes where we choose a movie that is kind of iconic in the horror genre, but one or more of us on the show has not seen. Today we're going to be talking about a movie that Ian had never seen before, and it is an iconic slasher movie, 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street, directed by Wes Craven. Now, just before we get into the discussion, um, I will warn you that it's gonna—it's probably going to be pretty spoilery. Um, I will give a, some, a, a brief summary of the setup in case you're not familiar with the movie, and then we'll get into talking about it. So this movie is probably the most famous uh, creation to come from Wes Craven, but it wasn't his first film by a long way, and nor was it his last. He, you know, his other kind of iconic uh, earlier horror movies were things like The Hills Have Eyes, which I've never seen, um, and Last House on the Left, and then later on in his career he created and directed most of the Scream franchise. Um, But The Nightmare on Elm Street was one that he created but took on a life of its own and kind of became a franchise without him. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet but something is coming to get them there's something out there isn't there you just see cuts happen what did that lieutenant i don't know there's a coroner got to say he's in the jaw and puking since he saw it you're gonna kill me for sure did you do it there was somebody else there he was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag no one knows where it came from or who it will visit next nancy there's something wrong with you you're imagining things nightmare on elm street ah! do you believe in the boogeyman no whatever you do don't fall asleep She's the only one who can stop it If she fails I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy No one will survive have eyes and last house on the left a new masterpiece in fantasy terror nightmare on elm street so in this movie the 1984 original um there are four friends living on um an unnamed street i think in this film although the movie's called a nightmare on elm street nobody actually says that the street's called elm street in this movie but they do in the sequels um the four friends are Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, um, her boyfriend Glenn, played in his debut screen performance by Johnny Depp, and their friends Tina and Rod, played by Amanda Weiss and Nick Corey, respectively. All of these teens are being plagued by bad dreams, featuring the terrifying figure of Fred Krueger, played by Robert Englund. A man whose scarred visage is only upstaged by his razor-tipped fingers. And I guess, you know, this is the first spoiler, but it's something that happens 20 minutes into the film when uh, Tina is actually killed during the course of one of her nightmares that they start to realise that this man actually manifests a genuine threat to them in their real lives and not just their dreams. The movie also features veteran actors John Saxon as uh, Nancy's father, Ronnie Blakely as her mother, and Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger, playing a role that was originally cast 
with David Warner who had to drop out due to a scheduling conflict late in the day but it's one of those instances where England created a character that would become iconic and that he would play for decades to come and that really nobody else could play although there was a remake in 2010 that nobody really wants to remember in which the actor Jackie Earl Haley tried to take on the part um, so that's the layup of the movie and a little bit about the, the, the people who made it it is written as well as directed by Wes Craven which is not true of all his famous movies <laughs> he didn't write everything um, and it's you know to his credit it's a it's a fairly unique concept um, or it wasn't the time for a slasher movie essentially it, it, it's marked out as quite different from uh, you know Halloween and Friday the 13th as much as it is lumped in with them and borrows many of their conventions um, so Ian I'm really interested to hear your reaction to this because I know you'd never seen it before um, and you've been mentioning for a time that you weren't you, know, you didn't really feel like you, you'd necessarily missed anything um, but now we're going to find out whether you really did or not well it's weird how I've managed to not watch it but I think I've seen so many of the key moments in on clip shows or on GIFs or just by osmosis and I think I have been in the room when it's being played I just haven't ever sat down and watched it. I kind of just got the because we got a video recorder late, just in the sort of late eighties, and I just wasn't that. I just wasn't drawn to. I've never have been drawn to slasher movies. Mm. I'm 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 much too clever for that. Um, <laughs> so, so no, no, but um, but um, like like you know, like I if it hadn't been for this podcast, I probably wouldn't have watched Halloween. Um, um because i hadn't seen that before had i um so there's just something about the slasher genre that unless i watch it unless i watched it during the period when i was a dope smoking student laughing at the screen i didn't watch it in my childhood and then i haven't bothered seeking them out afterwards um and i would say i mean there's lots to talk about with freddy krueger with this with nightmare on elm street um i would mostly say I don't think I have missed all that much. Um, right. Not not that I hated it, hated it, but I don't feel like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see this. Whereas with Halloween, I did feel a little bit like, I think Halloween has aged hugely more. It's aged better, far more than um, Nightmare on Elm Street, which I thought was just a bit silly and not very, not very scary. I was, expe I was expecting it to be scary. I mean... My wife, when when I said I was watching it, she was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to rewatch that with you then," because you know me and my me and my girlfriends we used to watch all the Freddy Krueger movies and they scared us so much and we were screaming, and uh, and then she started watching it and she just went, "This isn't scary at all. What is this? Is this the same movie?" And mm. uh, and my horror averse wife didn't find it scary at all. She just found it very silly, and then she realised she was about. 10 or 11 when she last watched it right and i do feel like like compared to other movies this is very much a movie that if you're 10 or 11 it might be scary um mm. I, I, I don't know there's something about it that's just i don't know i, I didn't find it horrific or gory or i mean there, there were lots of effective things about it i mean i was i was impressed to begin with like there was something kind of dirty and grimy about when we first see him putting his gloves together mm. that felt like oh he's a real nutter who's making this glove and that's quite a nasty idea and then the first kill with uh tina being dragged all over the all over the bedroom and everything that was really effective yeah that's it, an amazing scene i think yeah no it's brilliant and if it had stayed at that level i think it would deserve to be the classic that everyone its reputation has got it at uh and obviously the design of freddy's quite good as well but i wonder if how much of it is because of the sequels um just seeing this movie you know he's become this icon because he's been repeated over and over 
Mm. But if you actually just watch this movie, a you don't see him very much, and when you one of the first times you do see him, he's got his big long stupid arms, and it's weird because they haven't established what he looks like properly yet. Yeah, and they get big long stupid arms, um, and then he's just kind of funny. Uh, yeah, and it's so it's you know, but it's not, but it's not like a, it's not like a Sam Raimi or a Peter Jackson where the funniness and the goriness is part of the humour. This is like. I don't know. Thinks it's scary, but isn't. And I don't know. I mean, but I, I think maybe I I'm missing something that gets Wes Craven. I don't because I didn't. I don't particularly like Scream either. I find them too silly. But I think they work really well for the teenage mind, like the young teenage mind. Mm. And and so they're they're brilliant if you're a school kid. But have I, you but... seen Scream now? Then because last time I spoke to you about this, you hadn't seen it yet. Not the new one. I mean, I've seen the first one. Oh right, okay. I thought I you told, that... told us you'd never seen any of them. No, no, no. I saw I saw the first one at the cinema. I just okay. wasn't that bothered by it. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I do remember. I do remember really liking Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. And I think that's because they were grimy and horrible, and they mm. you know in sort of more in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mold. And this is, this is more in the you know mtv ghost train 1980s horror mode which doesn't hugely do it for me well i, I mean, think it aesthetically i think it actually takes a lot from halloween you know the, yeah, the yeah. setting that it, it's in the, the way it's filmed um it doesn't feel like that uh, which is largely because of the musical score i think i, th I think mm. that um uh, you know, Carl's Ensemble, I'm not a huge fan of this movie. I've, I've only seen it once before when I was a teenager, and I didn't find it particularly scary then. I was just kind of, But I do really like Scream, um, mm -hmm. and, and Scream and Halloween are kind of my touchstones to the slasher genre. I'm not a huge fan, mm -hmm. but I do love those. And I wanted mm -hmm. to see Elm Street um, as a comparison, and I enjoyed it, but didn't find it particularly frightening. And that's still how I feel about it. I kind of think um, it's 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 a very good film though if you accept it not being scary because I think it's a very neat idea quite well done um, with lots of very strong sequences in it it's not yeah. amazingly well acted or anything but what you know a lot of horror movies aren't yeah I think that, but I think that's another thing that um, Halloween has got the edge on it. A Halloween is more icy. It's mm. more of a. It just it just feels more like it's, it's it's sort of more single minded, and I think that comes from Carpenter. And then he's he's cast Jamie Lee Curtis, mm. who you know Heather Langenkamp is no Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, no, I was surprised. Her. Yeah, she I mean, every, every, everyone, everyone, everyone in this was so flat, including Johnny Depp. Mm. Um, my main my main thing I've written down for Johnny Depp was midrift because my God, what an amazing midrift he's got! Um, <laughs> right, very sexy. Um, but um, <laughs> but but I was surprised that he was such a bad actor in that. I was expecting it to be like, oh my God, I can see why he became a star in the future. But he's literally just quite a flat, boring actor, isn't he? Yeah, he's um, not finding himself at all at this point. No, no. Um, no, no, it's very strange. But I do think that if you had a, I mean, I think Heather Langley account is pretty good. She, you know, she's she's all right as a lead, but she's mm. not Jamie Lee Curtis, and the music is not the iconic horror score that Halloween has, or even that Phantasm has. You know, no. I, I think this movie would, and I, I realize it's a low budget film, and. It's got one of those cheap synth scores that's trying to sound big and exciting and also a bit poppy, a bit rocky. Yeah. But it it, it just needs something a bit more robust than that. Um, well, and maybe a great theme song to, li to <clears throat> lift it up. But if it had yeah. those things, I think it could be a great film because I do think it's a good story. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's obviously got a lot of promise and it was of its time. And, and it was, it did, it did drive me along. I didn't like turn it off or get bored. Um, and but it did it did keep reminding me of superior movies that were made 
sort of by first time directors or early career directors like Terminator and yeah. and Halloween. Um it was, you know, it was that it was it's that sort of it's that early eighties thing. And but I, I've always I don't know, Freddy Krueger, I just think if someone someone should remake him, but not remake it as a kid's slasher movie. Like, because he's a brilliant mm. creation. Yeah. If yeah. Uh, if if they if they if they focused on the fact that he's horrible and he's got rusty rusty razors for on his gloves and and it's just very grim, it sounds grim and it could be brilliantly it could be brilliantly scary, and it just based on this it just isn't. And the, what I've seen of the others, they get even more poppy and latexy and CGI later, don't they? Well, let's just touch on the um, the wider franchise thing then, because I haven't seen any of the sequels, mm. but there has just been a couple of videos released by Red Letter Media, and I'll put links in the show notes for them. And I watched those videos, and they're a rundown of the whole franchise, mm. and I found them to, to, to make the, make me much more interested in, in the whole series than I thought I was, um, because the, the sequels tend to seem to um, spin interesting variations on the themes they kind of add to the mythology of Freddy which you know any sequel especially in the horror genre will do but this character who is kind of a ghost and um, and it's all about the kind of muddy history of his horrible crimes mm. his character kind of lends itself to, to being mythologized in a way that Michael Myers doesn't for instance you know where the character is better the less you know about him yeah yeah um, and also they, they all seem to be the sequels seem to be kind of very character based um, a theme seems to emerge whereby it's not just that Freddy uh, invades people's dreams it's that in doing so he forces them to confront their greatest fears so they all have to be kind of quite distinctly drawn in terms of what motivates them as people, um, and therefore, you know, you do, apparently you do get. A, it looks to me, from the clips I've seen, like you get a succession of fun character stuff, which is unusual. Um, and 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 from those videos, the only Duff film in the whole um, series they said was the sixth one, which is. Uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, directed by Rachel Talalay, which doesn't seem to have a very good script. Um, uh, but all, all the other films kind of have fun ideas to them. Um, and I did start to watch the first sequel, which is Freddy's Revenge, directed by Jack Shoulder. Mm. Um, and that movie has a much better musical score. Its music is by Christopher Young, who did the, the, the scores to Hellraiser first couple mm -hmm. of films um, and it's amazing how different it feels and kind of more effective as a horror movie just for having that it's not uh, it doesn't have any input by Wes Craven and it, and it feels very much like a, a quickie sequel that was rushed out before they knew what they really had mm. because it doesn't he doesn't have any of the stuff in it about Freddy only existing in your dreams. He seems to be a kind of um, uh, a kind of ill-defined catch-all sort of ghost. You know, sometimes he can physically mm. affect things, sometimes he can't. He can possess people. He he kind of whispers into people's minds and influences characters, um, mm. and all. So it's kind of really vaguely done um, as a story, but at the same time there's something quite effective as, as traditional horror in it um, and, I, and I'm quite enjoying it although I haven't seen it all yet um, yeah. also it's, it's it's kind of famous because it's got loads of unintentional um, gay subtext in it because mm. it's its main character is, is, is a, a young male kind of slightly lonerish guy whose mm. main relationships seem to be with other guys. But, you know, that's talking about a movie that I've not seen. Um, I just want to mention as well, though, that our friend Spider-Dan mm -hmm. on the podcast Spider-Dan and the Secret Wars released an episode talking about one of Wes Craven's last movies, which is a little-known film called My Soul to Take. Mm. Um, 
whose title is taken from the the traditional bread, bedside prayer that is said in this movie, which I quite um, liked. And it was because of, uh, you know, because of the Red Letter Media video and also listening to Dan's podcast that I thought, I'm in the mood for some Wes Craven. So then when you suggested that we do this, um, mm. I was quite keen to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, Wes Craven is... Um, is in this strange position that he came to filmmaking relatively late in life. You know, he'd already had a career as a teacher beforehand, but most of the horror movies he's made have been about teenagers, and he's had to try and, as as an ageing man, kind of write material for teenagers, and apparently it gets more and more awkward as it goes along. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I would say at least these teenagers, these teenagers did feel young. Um, yes. Which, which was effective until we got to the bath scene, and then I was like, "That's dodgy as hell." Um, right. Why? Why? Why is he directed her to lie in a bath with her legs apart, so Freddie's right. hand can come up between her legs? Um, just uh, that felt very dodgy to me watching it. But just just getting it back to uh, just getting it back to a sort of um, on a very basic level. They one thing we always get asked when we're writing scripts is uh, why is this story happening now? Mm. There's no particular reason for Freddy Krueger to be, you know, attacking these children now, is there? Well, um, again, this there's, is there's addressed a, in. A, oh, is it? I was going to say because it's there's addressed a in the. In the red letter media thing, because right. apparently in in the original script, it's kind right. of more specific that he was a child molester, and they put in details that he. Well, yeah, but, but they murdered... say that they say that in this version. Well, no, they don't say molester, and they don't. There's a, there's a specific detail that's left out because, like late in the day, the producers got the collie wobbles. Right, and thought right. we'd better leave this vega. Originally. Freddy had murdered the older siblings of all the main characters when they were very young. So they don't remember it. Oh, I but, see. But he, and, and he's now waiting for them to grow to be the appropriate age for him to take right. them as well. But I then see. they decided we, we, we're going to lose all the material about the, the, the siblings. So therefore, yeah. it, that justifi justification isn't there. But there yeah. is that they did shoot those scenes, and I think on the Blu-rays there are some cut scenes in yeah. which Ronnie Blakely's character um, tells Nancy about her older brother or sister who died. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, oh, it, the, there there's not there's no that, that, yeah so that would make more sense as to why they were the parents that decided to uh, burn burn Freddie alive if it was yeah. their children that had been killed. Because as it is in this version, they're just a bunch of vengeful vigilantes <laughs> who decide to who who haven't been affected themselves, but neighbourhood kids have been killed. But yeah, yes, so that would make more sense. Strange, I, strange decisions. <laughs> I, I think it would probably. I don't know for certain, but I think it might have also played into the fact that Nancy's parents are kind of estranged, aren't they? And also, yeah, her, yeah. Her, her mother is drinking all the time, so yeah, they've yeah. clearly been damaged by personal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess all that's still in there a little bit, but yeah, yeah. no, that's that's um, it's strange with these movies because obviously they made it a clip. It's a bit like when you're going back over old Doctor Who and stuff. It's like, God, these movies were made really fast, and. Mm. Uh, and they made some tough decisions in the heat of the moment, or producers did, or whatever happened. But yeah, that would be much better <laughs> if they had a little bit more reason for these things to be happening, and for them to be happening now. But um, but um, it's it's a, it's a it's a strange old thing. Uh, all in all, Nightmare on Elm Street, because it's uh, it's uh, I mean, uh, as I was telling you off mic, I, I met Robert England, and I had to pretend obviously I'd seen all of his movies. But right. I um I interviewed I interviewed him for, for a movie called Hatchet, which was by a guy called Adam Green, which is a very I don't know I would say I'd probably say it was effective from what I can remember. 
but it was very mm-hmm. much just a run of the mill horror movie set in the set in set in the Louisiana Bayou, if I remember, and Robert Englund was hardly in it, but he was the <laughs> one that were touring around with the. Uh, he plays someone in in a boat who gets killed um, by the by the axe wielding maniac, um, and uh, but it was really nice to meet him. He's an absolutely lovely guy, and I always remember. I've maybe even said it on this podcast, but he always sticks in my head as of all the people I've met because of his attitude to fame and his attitude to success in 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 a genre piece because you meet so many people you know especially with science fiction and doctor who and all that sort of stuff people that kind of begrudge mm. becoming well known and i remember raising this sort of thing with him and he just said well look i'm a shakespearean actor but i also loved the universal monsters as a child and so i was absolutely delighted to be to get a job as a modern version of a universal monster uh, absolutely yeah. fine, and he he said, but he knows he knew exactly what I meant because he'd just been at a convention, and he said he was sat on one side. He had Paul McGann, you know, the eighth Doctor Who, mm. as you, as you know, but in case listeners don't, um, <laughs> and he was completely at peace. He was just like you know, county blessings, and uh, I'm completely at peace with being the eighth Doctor Who and getting to get paid to sign autographs and I'm still working in other things. And he said on the other side, he had Christopher Lee, who you could tell hated it and, right. and grumbled about being known for Dracula. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and so he said, I'm very much in the Paul McGann side of things, which is, you know, count your blessings. Um, cause you know, he went for the role of Han Solo. He shared a house with Mark Hamill famously. Um, uh, and it was because of Mark. It was because of him going for Han Solo. You told Mark Hamill to go for the to get in touch as well, and uh, the rest is history. There, isn't it? Yeah, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, Robert England and Mark Hamill sharing an apartment in LA, and uh, and uh, yeah, and he was very much Mark. Mark was one of the few people that got got George's vision. Everyone else was rumbling around about it. Yet again, these grumbling actors, he's very much on the side of the actors that don't grumble, that just count their blessings, which I think was interesting. But yeah, I mean, I'm not in a hurry to go and see other Nightmare on Elm Street movies because I think there's so many other things to watch. And I, but I could see, I mean, in a way, I wanted to see a bit more of (laughs) Freddy. I wanted to hear a bit more dialogue and back and forth from him. I think maybe they tried to do that in the remake, but, um, I've not heard anything good about that movie either. No, but I wonder if in the sequels they lean into the fact that Robert England's actually a good actor and give him more give him more menacing dialogue and things. It looks like he does, yeah. Because in this he just says, I'm gonna split you in half and various things like that. I mean, um you haven't seen Hellraiser yet, have you, Ian, the original? No, um, just that just the remake, which was terrible. Or the latest one. Well, we'll get to that sometime, hopefully. But um, <laughs> it's funny that with um, Freddy, I had the same reaction as a teenager that I did with Pinhead, which is just mm. finding him laughable on screen. Yeah. But uh, I gradually um, fell in love with Hellraiser. It kind of got under my skin as a film, even mm. though I thought the kind of iconic monster was a bit of a joke in it. Yeah. Where else? With Freddy, I I just enjoyed the film. I found it kind of pleasant enough, um, but had no particular desire to go back for it. I think I'm fairly positive about the movie as a whole. Like I say, I th- I think it was a good story, quite effective. Um, various really striking sequences. Tina's death kind of is my favourite bit, and it's a shame yeah. that that's kind of the first big set piece of the movie. Um, but it's a, it's a, the, the, just the visual of Tina kind of being dragged across the ceiling, her red blood on the white ceiling. and, and Oh, and it's brilliant, yeah. That's no, what no, really yeah. stuck with me as a teenager. Yeah, if, um, like I said, if, if they'd kept that up, but then the next kill is, I thought, oh, there's going to be something, it's going to be an absolute bloodbath in that, uh, in that police cell. Mm-hmm. And then he just hangs himself. So, you know it should escalate yeah 
peak too soon. I also think tonally, for me, it was. I mean, maybe they maybe they lean into this later because I always thought Freddy Krueger was quite funny, and this version, it's like, it's not it's not got the chilliness of of uh, Halloween, but then it hasn't got hasn't got the sort of uh, you know the. Uh, the kind of the, evil dead humor yeah the evil yeah the evil dead sam raimi kind of vibe and it ha and it has hints of that you know you don't need a stretcher up there you need a mark right yeah and actually um nancy actually watches evil dead doesn't she in in the movie yeah yeah and it's so it's a bit it falls between two stools for me um but i could see why they went we've got something here because robert england even even if he's not given that much of a chance in this movie, I bet just working with him they made them realise this Freddy Krueger could be a lot more than he is in this thing that's become a hit anyway. Because mm. I imagine, I imagine for young young teens in 1984, this was a brilliant driving type movie to yeah. go and watch and have a big laugh at. Um, and it and is it does feel really fresh and different mm. when most movies in the genre um i i believe having not seen most of them have just been <laughs> guy stabs girl um again and again and again and yeah. subjective camera work and all that whereas this movie has a really unique concept you know the, mm. the idea of a killer who can only attack you in your dreams and how do you work with that it is fascinatingly different and it allows them to do the stalk and slash stuff and the gore when they want to but you know there's much more that they can also do and i think that the the sequels kind of also play with the dream concept a lot the one thing yeah. that i thought that didn't really come across in this movie it might have come across to me when i was watching it as a teenager but this time around the whole thing that you know they're terrified of freddy getting them in their dreams so therefore they uh, they don't go to sleep and um nancy is yeah. kind of constantly having coffee and things like that but then yeah, there, yeah. There, there's suddenly a line where she goes i've been awake for seven days <laughs> and i thought yeah, have yeah. you you don't look remotely tired. It, I just that whole thing. I just missed that pop that plot point until that line, and I yeah. feel like the movie could have done a lot more with that. Yeah. Also, I mean, it, basically, it just seemed to be on a downward spiral for me. Like it peaked at Tina's death, and then it got less and less interesting as it went on, and then it culminated in that sort of awful Home Alone sort of sequence at the end, which. It doesn't know if it's playing itself for laughs or for gore or for scares. And I imagine it, if, you, if you're, you know, not a very discerning teenage audience, it's probably just quite fun. Um, but as a, as a horror movie for the ages, it doesn't bode well for me. And what do I know, though? Because it's, it's made millions and millions of dollars. But it's not for me. <laughs> um, but I do think Freddy Krueger's sort of a missed opportunity. <laughs> I missed opportunity that's made millions of dollars. But in terms of a really scary film, like, I, they could have made a really scary film of him. Yeah, I mean, um, I do like the mechanism of, of the ending. I remember reading about it in Kim Newman's book and, it, uh, and just his summary that, you know, Nancy sets up loads of physical traps. She thinks the way to get Freddy Krueger is to lure him into the real world and then attack him while he's mm. solid. But then that doesn't work either. So ultimately she has to turn her back on him and say, I don't believe in you, and that will kill yeah. him. Uh, and I think that's quite a satisfying twist. Except it's, except it's not. Except she doesn't succeed doing that, does she? So... Well, she doesn't, but I think that's... She doesn't do that, but only because I think the studio mandated at the last minute we must put an ending where he comes back because this is going to work. You know, we're going to do more with this. Yeah, so the whole it's kind weird, of, though, isn't it? That's, that's usually the opposite. It's usually... It's usually if you've got a bummer ending, they go, oh, actually, no, can, you know, like... I always make me think of The Descent where, right. where there was a cut 
I mean, this is a spoiler for the descent, so cover your ears, anyone who hasn't yet seen the brilliant descent. But you know the bit at the end of the descent where she thinks she's escaped and then they f- go all the way back and she's still down the cave and she's just yeah. hallucinating. Um, yeah. But apparently there was a release of that that just had her escaping. Right. <laughs> so, so I think the same as they did with Brazil and things like that. Um, you know, people escape in a fantasy way and then people are like, yeah, that's fine. The audience will go away happy. But in this, it was like the opposite. It was like, so you went through all that, you came up with a convincing way for her to beat the bad guy, and then for no particular reason, he you haven't beaten the bad guy. So it felt mm. kind of dissatisfying at the end. It was like, well, it's all just make, making it up as it goes along. Well, um, yeah, and that, that last scene is and, is and, and it was And good. it looks so stupid. It just looks so stupid. The mum going through the door yes. and, the, and the stupid car look so stupid and i just thought well at the very least you'd want to see a load a close-up of freddy sticking his sticking his claws through someone mm. like but they didn't they just sort of had that weird car going off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just, uh, i mean i don't know i'll tell you what i found most i, I, I almost feel like that. i'm being I'm being a bully on a movie that that's done very well without me um and it's not for me. it's not for me at all i don't think anybody <laughs> loves that ending um no. uh what i found particularly disappointing weirdly though was you know i was kind of prepared that there was going to be a naff ending stuck on it but there isn't even a moment after she defeats freddy for her to go you know for, it's like oh life's back to normal and you know for mm. the characters to just exist it suddenly it goes immediately into this kind of weird. Well, everyone's alive again. Who died? Yeah, without yeah. Without really explaining what how that can be, and then suddenly you've got the the twist that they all die again. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not a twist if it doesn't come from anything. Mm. It's that's that's the tax on ending because he had an ending mm. that worked, and so to make it a satisfying ending, it would need to be that she'd made a mistake or she'd been outwitted by Freddy. And that it turned out she thought she was defeating him in the house, but actually she's fast asleep um, or mm. something. And that, you know, that all that stuff of him running around the house, that was all the hallucination. That yeah. was all the dream. And, and then, and then, and then, and then it would be a, you think you've beaten me, you think you've stayed awake, you fell asleep 10 minutes ago. Or something like that, and yeah. then and then it would be, but but it was just completely slapped on the end, just ridiculous. Um, so you know, maybe one day I'll watch the sequels and see if they get any better. But I don't think I'm in a rush because I just I don't think I'm the target audience for slashers, particularly as a genre. Um, no, I, I and mean, I prefer, if I'm going to have. And I prefer my if my horror is going to be all about gore and people being chased, then I'd rather it was really gory but in a funny way. Um, right. And 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 that's not, you know, that sort of stoner stoner horror is uh, something I've I'm not particularly I'm less as I'm, I'm 51 now I'm less and less likely to go and watch. <laughs> I, right. You know, I think the last one of those I watched was um was the uh, was it Chip and Dale or whatever they're called. Oh, you mean Tucker and Dale versus Tucker and Dale? Chip and Dale was with the, they're the uh, they're the they're the uh, they're the chipmunks, aren't they? The raccoons, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Tucker, Tucker, Tucker and Dale, you know, Tucker and Dale, quite evil. evil. Yeah, that, that's um, a brilliant that, movie, and that that's was quite fun. But that's hilarious. that's the sort of genre that's you know that's it's funny, and you spend your time going, "Whoa, we just went for a wood chipper," and there's blood everywhere, or you know. And that and they've got their own place, but a movie that, and I think the Freddy Krueger movies, maybe they are later on, but this 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 one feels like it should have been, it should have picked a tone, it should have either been terrifying or it should have been really funny, a bit scary, and the kills were savage and and over the top, and it's kind of mostly, mostly not quite there, in either regard, uh, for mm. me. Maybe if you're 11, like I said. Uh, well, 
I mean, or, it's I think, 19, or it's 1984 and you're a teenager. I don't think it, it grabs you, but I think if you're in a charitable mood, um, I think it's possible to find it enjoyable as I did as just a kind of a story. Um, yeah, no, I, I did find it. Know, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it, but there were holes in it. Like yeah. saying, the holes sound like somebody, somebody, somebody who doesn't know a lot about story ended up taking chunks out of it and then adding a stupid bit on the end um and and making the and ruining the film or making, well, it, may, making it worse be, anyway that <laughs> might be the producer robert shay unfortunately bless him who who produced the whole series and of course went on to produce the lord of the rings movies um, oh, right. there's a quote from england that i always remember where he said new line cinema is entirely based on the blood of Freddy Krueger's victims. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, it, it was... That that studio was nothing before this, this movie, and that franchise created them and, and, and brought them to the point where they could, you know, attempt one of the, the most mega franchises of all, you know, 20 yeah. years later. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I shall forgive them for that then, because they're amazing films. Um, and I, I I think that um, from the, the bit that I've seen of the second Freddy film, the only continuity crew member on it is Robert Shea. And I get the strong sense that he, even he didn't really know what they'd made in Nightmare on Elm Street. And he was just mm. trying to kind of, kind of hash together a follow-up. But as the yeah. franchise goes on, I mean, he does at least... Um, I, I get the impression he's a cool guy, um, mm. and he d he did do things like bring Wes Craven back to co-write the, the third film, which is co-written with Frank Darabont and directed mm -hmm. by Chuck Russell, and they're they're a really good team because they did the remake of The Blob from the eighties. Right. So yeah. I think maybe that is is one to watch, and then um, in nineteen ninety four, Shea got Craven to come back as writer and director to do new new nightmare which sounds like a really interesting movie mm. um so i you know i i i get the sense that there's there's a tension that that develops and there's push and pull between the idea of we've got to make one of these movies every year because it's the studio's lifeblood and yeah and we're, we're just not going to stop doing that for anything but also there's kind of trying to to reach out and and do the right things, but circumstances doesn't always allow them to do that. Um, yeah. So, but no, I mean, I, I feel like I, I might now go on to watch more of them, um, not because I think that there's a sense that there's a cinematic gold there, really, but. Um, the kind of fun horror that I, I I speak on the podcast a lot about how I have trouble watching horror stuff with my breakfast. A lot of my viewing is during breakfast, <laughs> and yeah. there's something harmless fun about Elm Street, which makes me feel like no, this will be okay with breakfast. So <laughs> I, I I might just go ahead and and watch the rest of them. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe uh, you've you've made me. With Darabont being involved, you've made me think maybe uh, number three might be a uh, might be just because of what he did with uh, a The Walking Dead, mm. um, but also The Mist is just absolutely that's one we should do in a future episode. I love The Mist. Um, yeah, The Mist is The Mist is fantastic. Absolutely I, love The Mist. I want to track down the black and white edit of it and watch that version. Oh wow. Um, because they did that for Blu-ray, and that sounds wonderful. But yeah, Elm Street 3 has Darabont, Russell, and it also has Craven and Langenkamp coming back. And right. it sounds like they're all, uh, you know, they're they're all better adjusted to what they've got. Yeah. Um, and they, 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 they've kind of realised what the concept is. Yeah, yeah, that'd be um, because, interesting to see and compare and contrast if they've sorted the tone out and and given England some decent lines and. The third one is set around a clinic for children with, with mm. sleeping disorders. 
Right, it's right, got yeah. an idea that links it directly into the whole concept of Freddy Krueger. Yeah. So I think it's promising. I remember hearing years ago, I think it was somebody even in the playground or something saying, Freddy Krueger, there's a, it, either there's a bit you see it or you're just told that Freddy Krueger's mum was raped by a hundred men or something. And she was, a, was she a nun? That comes up in one of the later sequels. Yeah, yes. yeah, and that that information stayed in my head. This is that's weird. How much for films I've never seen, how much right. of it's just been talked about in hushed tones during teenage years, like that sort of. I mean, they are they are brilliantly adolescent films, and I guess that's why they work. And uh, and it's it's funny to watch, you know. Cause obviously, I I was already aware of the references in Stranger Things and things from these movies. As well as all the other things that they're referencing, but it was—it's uh, just good to sort of finally see it and go, "Oh yeah, it really is a Stranger Things era with Nancy." <laughs> um, yes, is she actually in Stranger Things? Oh, do you know what? I don't know because she is in Mike Flanagan's um, The Midnight Club, so she has uh, been. She has come back. Yeah, uh, I—I didn't like The Midnight Club at all. I must admit. All right. I watched the first episode of it. Did not like it, but yeah. But um, but there's one. There's one other thing I've, I've got written down other than um Johnny Depp's midriff. Um, is, <laughs> is 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 there's a slight little bit of exorcist going on. Um, I think. In in okay. the in the in the, in the, I quite like the sort of supernatural. There's there's a demon, and I did like the fact that. In a way, it works up to the midpoint for me, and not that the midpoint ruins it. It's just that the midpoint's really good, in that that's the point where the mum and the dad realise this is a supernatural thing, and mm. everyone believes them. And then, and they've had the medical stuff like the like 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 they have in The Exorcist. They've had the sort of trying to get the medical explanation, and then there's you know their equivalent of of Reagan with the crucifix. Um, mm. which uh, is is uh, is is the hat, which is slightly oh, less yeah. memorable than uh, than Reagan with a crucifix, <laughs> but um, but yeah, is the hat with Freddy Krueger's name stitched in it? Um, it's weird as well. He's never called Freddy Krueger, so that's that's how these things change through time. Yeah, he's like, Fred Krueger in the first. Fred Krueger, and it's weird how these. I, I guess a bit like I mean, there's so many examples, but a bit, a bit like it's play it against Sam in the public consciousness, but it never is in the movie. Right. Mm. Casablanca. These things get sort of rewritten by 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 society, so he becomes Freddy Krueger for some reason. <laughs> I wonder if it's because they had to write that nursery rhyme, you know, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And yeah, maybe. Uh, they just changed it to Freddy because it scanned better, or maybe the word is actually "Fred is coming for you," but yeah. people heard it as "Freddy's coming for you," yeah, yeah, and therefore it became Freddy. And then in the following movie, he is Freddy Krueger, yeah, and that just kind yeah. of stuck. I also just realised today, isn't the villain in Last House on the Left called Krug? This may maybe. be a, a thing in uh, Wes Craven's head that, that there's something there's some sinister significance from his childhood or something to the name Krug or Kruger it means hunter in um in German okay I think I'm just uh I'm live googling it's, it's, oh, actually it's Jaeger isn't it hunter in Germany oh, okay. it's, it's Jaeger in Jaeger in so maybe I'm wrong but uh, anyway yeah ignore that bit um but yeah yeah <laughs> But it's like, it makes me think of Kruger National Park. So. Right. Is yeah. that a national park? Yeah, in um, in South Africa. Oh, right. Kru- I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, you have the Krugerans, the. Uh, oh, Goldbergs, yeah, of course. And uh, right. dodgy, dodgy apartheid and stuff going on. But I don't think that factors in. The, the only thing that sort of factors in from outside the USA is, the, is it was. Um, was it Vietnamese refugees that the whole idea was based on to start with? Um, oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, they were having they were they were having nightmares, and some of them died in their sleep um, because their nightmares were so bad that it killed them, kind of thing. Right. Um, and I I read 
I read yesterday that that's, that was the initial impetus for Craven to uh, think of somebody stalking your nightmares. Right, okay. Um, yeah. It was certainly a creator who, who took a lot of time to, to think on the political and social issues of the day in which he lived. And I think he'd, if it had been up to, the, up to him, he'd have written more sober dramas addressing these themes. But kind of fate wanted him to make horror movies and he ended up channeling you know all his ideas into kind of slasher material having said i say that but he actually made loads and loads of horror movies and quite a wide uh mix of horror subgenres among them so probably even wider than like john carpenter did so maybe it's unfair to pigeonhole him as a slasher um creator primarily even though that's what he's best known for but he did you know psychological horrors he did monster movies he did mm. vampire in brooklyn with eddie murphy which is a comedy horror um mm -hmm. you know so he did do his best to try loads of different ideas i, me I remember watching the is it the children in the walls did he do that the people under the stairs people under the stairs not yeah. the children in the walls yeah because i remember enjoying that in the 90s but as we've, that, as we've discovered from these podcasts, my taste in the 90s cannot be trusted. Uh, well, I'd like to... That that would be one... That would be a missed classic that I haven't seen because people do really rate that and I've never watched it. Yeah, I, I, I remember really liking it when I was okay. like... But I was 20 or whatever. Um, and it was the cinema. So, uh, but yeah. But um, but yeah, the same, the same person who didn't rate Bram Stoker's Dracula... And now right. so, uh, <laughs> so my brain can't be trusted. Well, maybe we'll find out one day. Um, maybe. Something else I've just been thinking about Wes Craven recently, coincidentally, is I've been watching a lot of and reading a lot about The Twilight Zone. And Craven <laughs> was a key director in the 1980s revival of The Twilight Zone. But he, the reason he got involved with that, which was after... Nightmare on Elm Street was made was because mm. he was a childhood fan of the Twilight Zone and the last episode of the Twilight Zone I watched is a, a famous classic episode called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street uh. and I wonder if the, the title of Nightmare on Elm Street was kind of him riffing on that a bit because yeah well it's a tree isn't it so. yes Elm and Maple. You know, and the fact that the the, um, the the street is not named in the movie. So, yeah. So it does seem like he was just kind of grasping around for a good title at the end of the production. Um, and he settled on A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is a great title, actually. So. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else we think we can say about A Nightmare on Elm Street, or have we covered it? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I think we've covered it. In a... It was interesting to hear your take on it, Ian. I, when I watched it again myself, I thought, I don't think Ian will hate this, but I very much doubt he'll love it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's uh, I wanted to force myself to to have a have a hatred for it because it might be more entertaining, or to absolutely love it. But um, but to be honest, yeah, for me it would be a distinct distinctly middle of the road three stars quite weird it became quite weird it became such a huge hit but i wonder if the huge hit a there was something there but also i think the people behind it probably went robert england you know in between mm. takes and stuff they're probably going god he's he's really good <laughs> and uh let's let's keep this going i think that's a fair theory yeah i would say I also think that the, the, there was the weird phenomena in the 80s of the mega bo the mega books generating slasher movement. Every slasher movie did well. And this was one that had that plus a bit more. You know, there's, there's a bit more going mm. on in Elm Street. So therefore, it kind of becomes the king of the genre, uh, maybe. I think my final thought is... Um, 
just I, I was thinking about the recent phenomenon of of kind of requels where they you know where they revive belatedly revive a franchise probably calling the new film the same name yeah as the original film as they did with halloween and scream and Candyman. Mm. um and i thought surely a nightmare on elm street is coming soon because heather langenkamp is still around it then did make me sad when i realized but yeah i mean she's shown no disdain for the genre um and she's returned already several times to the franchise but mm. always when she returned, it was in tandem with Wes Craven writing mm. and directing. Um, and of course, now he's passed away. So yeah. if it did happen, it would be probably a cynical studio thing, which just has Heather Langenkamp's face on it. Yeah. And of course, might might not have England either. No, no. Um, well, I mean, there's already been the 2010. Mm. So I, I, I mean, I, I really think they could... if. I think I think they could really make a really good scary movie with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street if they went for a slightly different tone and made it scuzzy. You know, mm. if they sort of went for, I guess, Silence of the Lambs with supernatural elements, then, you know, because you, you get a slight hint of all that right at the beginning with Freddy making his gloves. Mm. And you get you get the griminess and the it's almost like if we had more of that that we had at the beginning and and the and like we said Tina's death if there was more of that kind of it's almost it's almost I guess elements of elements of uh, the Exorcist in that it's naturalistic horror um, that's what makes that's what makes those sequences so effective is they're supernatural but they're very much they're grimy and they're real and uh and then the rest of it is is just a bit silly and and he looks like he's running around the you know the set of thriller or something right and he's got you know it's all latex and he keeps showing her his blobby insides for some type for some reason with the green green blandy blub (laughs) (laughs) i never quite understood why that's in there so uh yeah, Inter- interesting, interesting movie. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe you tempted me to watch number three at some point. Well, I always kind of thought at some point I'll get around to just watching the first one again and then the third one and then New Nightmare, which is Wes Craven's conclusion. But now, yeah. having seen all those clips on Red Letter Media, I think I might just watch all of them. I mean, even the one they said was really bad which is the <laughs> sixth one, has Roseanne Arnold and Tom Arnold in it. And Yafet Kotto. It sounds like the most bizarre movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I might go on this journey. I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I may report back on that yeah. if I continue down this path. But I, I think The People Under the Stairs is definitely one that sounds worth investigating. Well. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a let's let's try and go and have a look at that one then. So yeah, maybe that's a missed classic for the future. Yeah. All right, Ian. Well, thank All you right. very much for this. Yeah. And yeah, a pleasure. And this has been fun. Cool. All right then, Dan. Farewell. We shall uh, reconvene in the near future and talk about some other horror. But this has been good, and I'm going to go away now and continue investigating the um, misadventures of Freddy Krueger. Freddy's coming for you. I know to end on. Cheers, man. Yes. Hey, good night. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Good night, everybody. Sweet dreams. <laughs> you have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Ian Winterton and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music, and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details or visit our Facebook pages, 
at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now the podcast stops.